98K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Susan Lavender. The headlines. The hospital authority plans to set up facilities outside hospitals to house COVID-19 patients with mild symptoms. An infectious disease expert expresses concern over the handling of a group of mainlanders stuck in transit at Hong Kong airport. And a vice chairwoman of the Basic Law Committee expects Beijing's national security law for Hong Kong to be passed before July the 1st. The hospital authority says it's planning to set up isolation facilities in the community for those COVID-19 patients in a mild and stable condition in case there's an upsurge of cases. Deacons Young, an HA director, told RTHK such facilities would be far away from people's homes and large enough to house many patients. He said the risk of the virus spreading would be minimal as the HA is experienced in deciding who is suitable to be treated outside hospitals. The head of the University of Hong Kong Shenzhen Hospital, Lo Chung Mao, says the government should make bulk orders of COVID-19 testing reagents from Guangdong in order to cut costs for the upcoming health code scheme. Under the scheme, people who test negative for the coronavirus will be given a code which will allow them to travel between Hong Kong, Macau and Guangdong without being subject to the 14-day quarantine rule. Right now, each lab buys its own reagents from overseas and each test kit can cost up to six. $600, making the test unaffordable for many. But Dr Lowe said one could get it for as low as 15 yuan in bulk purchases from the mainland. He dismissed concerns over the quality of made-in-China test kits. Well, iPhone is made in China. Why are so many people in Hong Kong using iPhone? There, there are many high-tech products which are produced by China. And after all these uh, PCR test reagents, they are very standardized laboratory techniques. I don't see any reason why people should create you know, such a worry about using products from China. An infectious disease expert has warned authorities against relaxing border controls before it comes up with emergency contingency plans, saying the handling of 10 mainland passengers from Dubai who were stranded at the airport's restricted area for five days due to a ban on transit to the mainland was absolutely not ideal. Dr Leung... Chi Chu, who chairs the Hong Kong Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases, said authorities should conduct a thorough review of the incident and make sure assertive law enforcement and contingency plans are in place before transit flights are resumed. Several former UN officials, including a next human rights chief, are urging the UN to appoint a special envoy for Hong Kong. They say they're deeply concerned about a potential humanitarian tragedy in the city. Vicky Wong has details. With Beijing getting ready to impose its national security law on Hong Kong, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Zaid Rad al-Hussein and eight former special rapporteurs say they fear a humanitarian tragedy will unfold in the SAR. They say the UN Secretary-General should appoint a special envoy for Hong Kong because of the grave threats the law will bring and the symbolism that a human rights crisis would have in what had been one of Asia's freest cities. In a statement, they say it's imperative that the international community acts urgently to establish a mechanism for observing, monitoring and reporting on the human rights and humanitarian situation in Hong Kong. In response to their call, former British Foreign Secretary Malcolm Rifkin said the move sends a powerful message and signals that the crisis in Hong Kong has grown from a mostly local dispute into an international one. Mr Rifkin said this will be a disaster in Beijing's eyes, but he also acknowledged that further action within the UN would be difficult because of China's veto in the Security Council. 
Former Chief Secretary Anson Chan says she's stepping back from her civic and political engagements so as to spend more time with her family. She says she needs time to mourn the passing of one of her daughters last month. At the age of 80, it's time to honour a family promise and to lead a quieter life. Mrs Chan says young people shouldn't lose hope for the future and keep believing in Hong Kong's core values in a peaceful and law-abiding manner. The former Hong Kong number 2 did not mention the recent political turmoil in her brief statement. A vice chairwoman of the Basic Law Committee, Maria Tam, says it's very likely the national security law drafted for Hong Kong will be passed in the coming National People's Congress Standing Committee session, which begins on Sunday, though she admits the item is not on the agenda and she doesn't know whether the bill has been finalised. Chief Executive Carrie Lam and other top officials have publicly said they cannot comment on the bill because they don't know the content. Ms Tam was asked whether it, this shows a lack of trust or respect on the part of Beijing for the SAR government. We follow the procedure of the National People's Congress, which means that unless the final draft is ready, it is not open for consultation through, for example, the internet. But as far as the drafting is concerned, consultation has been going on intensively. I don't know how much the Hong Kong government officials know, as far as I'm concerned, because the drafting is still going on. It will be very difficult for anybody to say that they've actually seen the final draft. You're listening to RTHK. It's just gone five minutes past one. A former head of the Education University, Anthony Jung, says he thinks the Education Bureau was under outside pressure to speak up against students forming human chains and singing protest songs. The Bureau banned such activities earlier this month, saying they were political. Damon Pang reports. Professor Zheng says it's unfortunate that schools have become a battlefield since the anti-extradition protests erupted a year ago. Speaking exclusively with RTHK, he says so long as students don't engage in violence and discrimination, it's actually hard to find a reason to oppose their expression of views through what are now considered to be banned actions. Professor Zheng says teachers are role models for students and it shouldn't be too casual when making comments on personal social media accounts. He said teachers can have sharp political views, but they should not give the impression that they encourage violence. For example, Professor Cheung says teachers would be over the line if they say the protest slogan, the whole family of a corrupt police officer should die. The former housing minister says after the national security law comes into effect, he thinks schools can still teach about the June 4th Tiananmen Square massacre. But Professor Cheung says it depends on the clauses in the law as to whether discussions on ending one-party rule can still go on. Professor Cheng also says people apply double standards about doxing. He says people often have problems with pro-democracy activists being doxed, but they're perfectly fine with similar things happening to pro-government forces. Professor Cheng says it's unfair for people to decide whether to tolerate doxing activities based on political stance. The government has strongly objected to what is described as a groundless, sloppy and grossly unfair U.S. State Department report into human trafficking. The latest Trafficking in Persons report downgraded Hong Kong to its Tier 2 watch list with criticisms, including the failure to identify more than three victims of human trafficking and the lack of a specific law to outlaw the crime. The government says they failed to identify many victims because human trafficking is not and never has been a problem here and their existing legal framework provides enough safeguards. Human rights lawyer Patricia Ho, recognised for her efforts to combat trafficking in the report, said the government's response is disappointing.
There are multiple reports issued in Hong Kong over the last few years that say that human trafficking and forced labor is a huge problem in many different fields, whether sex trafficking or labor trafficking, whether in Hong Kong private homes or construction sites or the F&B industry. It's a huge issue. And so if they keep on saying that they haven't identified anything, it really you know, begs more questions in, into where that statement comes from. The U.S. Senate has unanimously approved legislation for mandatory sanctions on people or companies that back Beijing's efforts to restrict Hong Kong's autonomy. The Hong Kong Autonomy Act must still pass the House of Representatives and be signed into law by President Trump. One of its sponsors, Republican Pat Toomey, said he lived in the SAR for a year and wanted to preserve the vibrant culture and economy he experienced. It's all possible, let's be clear, because freedom has prevailed in Hong Kong or at least it used to. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to practice their faith as they see fit, an independent judiciary and the rule of law, and all of that, all of it, is very, very seriously threatened right now by the Chinese Communist Party because their greatest fear is that the people on the mainland will observe the freedoms in Hong Kong and decide maybe they'd like some of those freedoms too. A mainland woman has been jailed for six years and eight months after a bank account she opened was used to launder nearly six billion Hong Kong dollars. Police say the 63-year-old had opened up a trading company and a bank account in order to pocket a few thousand dollars in reward. The woman then gave control of the bank account to a man before returning to the mainland. She earlier pleaded guilty to conspiracy to launder money. An acting chief inspector from Kowloon East Regional Crime Unit, Sum Ho Man, says the force is hunting for more people involved in the case. During the investigation, we have found that the concerned account have other transactions with over 600 companies. And since the volume of the transaction, the investigation is still ongoing. And we could not rule out the possibility that more persons will be arrested in this case. Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives have approved a far-reaching policing overhaul bill a month after the killing by police in Minneapolis of an unarmed black man which sparked worldwide protests against police brutality. Among other measures, the bill bans the use of chokeholds and racial profiling and makes it easier to prosecute police officers. The legislation is expected to face opposition in the Republican-dominated Senate. The Democratic Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, announced the result of the vote. On this vote, the yeas are 236, the nays are 181. The bill is passed. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Government inspectors in the U.S. have found that the Treasury has sent more than 1.4 billion U.S. dollars of its pandemic rescue fund to dead people. But inspectors say the rush to deliver the money has contributed to errors. The BBC's David Willis has the story. In the last few months, the American Congress has approved $2.6 trillion in order to mitigate the effects of the coronavirus on the U.S. economy. That included one-off payments of $1,200 each to people earning below a certain level of income. In its report, the watchdog, the Government Accountability Office, says that those checks were sent out by the Treasury Department. And whilst the U.S. tax agency, the IRS, has access to the country's death records, the Treasury doesn't. Hence the conclusion that payments were sent to more than a million people who are now deceased. 
A short time ago, the Hansing Index was at 24,672. That's two points down on the previous close. Turnover stands at $53 billion. To currencies, the US dollar is trading at 107.14 yen. The euro is standing at 1 US dollar and 12 cents. And the pound is worth 9 Hong Kong dollars and 63 cents. And now to sport, here's Atom Jung. Liverpool fans across the world are celebrating the club's first English league crown in 30 years. Chelsea's 2-1 win over second-place Manchester City ensured Liverpool won their first title in the Premier League era with a record seven games to spare. In his fifth season at Anfield, manager Jurgen Klopp has guided Liverpool to the Champions League final twice, winning one and now a long-awaited English Premier League title. No, I have have no words. It's unbelievable. It's much more than I ever thought would be possible um, becoming chairman with this with this club is absolutely incredible. Okay, honestly, I, I didn't wait 30 years. I'm here since four and a half years, but it was, and we didn't have a chance really in the, in, before last year when it was the first time that we had the chance. So it's the second year. So it's, it's quite an achievement, but it's anyway relief because of the, of the three months interruption. Um, nobody knew how it will go on. And, um, then you don't know 100% how you will come back. The games are difficult in the Premier League. Each game is difficult. So, um, I only can tell you it's, it's for you out there. It's for you. It's incredible. I hope you stay at home or go in front of your house if you want, but not do no more and um, celebrate it. It's, it's all here and it's all here. We, we do it together in this moment and um, it's a joy to do it for you, I can tell you. Liverpool legend Kenny Dalglish can't explain why it's taken the club so long to get back to the top, but believes they're in good hands for more success. No, and I think if he did, you would have been arrested in section. Um, you, you don't know, sometimes, sometimes things happen. Um, but certainly the last two years, and since Jorgen's come in, he's, he's been fantastic and he epitomises everything that Liverpool Football Club stands for. He's, he appreciates and respects everybody that works at the club and they've all got the position, they've all got his respect. So whatever they got, they deserve it. And it's not just a one-off, because last year... They came within a point of it. This year they've only lost one draw and two. They won the World Club Championship. They won the Champions League last year as well. So, by the way, onwards and upwards. And I think we've got a lot more happy days to look forward to now, as long as you're going to. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Arsenal beat Southampton 2-0 for their first win since the restart. Watford remained one point above the drop zone after losing 1-0 to Burnley. In other football news, Australia and New Zealand have been announced as hosts of the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup after their joint bid finished ahead of Colombia by a vote of 22 to 13. They were the only two bids remaining after Japan and Brazil both pulled out earlier this month. And that's your look at sports. To end the news, the top stories once again. The hospital authority plans to set up facilities outside hospitals to house COVID-19 patients with mild symptoms. And an infectious disease expert expresses concern over the handling of a group of mainlanders stuck in transit at Hong Kong Airport. And that's the news from RTHK.
And welcome to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, this Friday afternoon. It's a Friday, Friday the twenty sixth of June is today's date. Many thanks to James Ross for this morning's morning brew. Hope you all had a nice Dragon Boat Festival. We do have a busy program for you, so we're going to kick off with speaking with Sky Sue, the executive director of the Kelly Support Group, and we'll be raising awareness for the International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking. That'll be uh, just after half past one. 
And since today it's Friday, we'll be uh, continuing with the Agenda Cafe. And this week, uh, Karen Co and myself will be looking at how the coronavirus pandemic has impacted the incidence of domestic abuse and violence here in Hong Kong. And we'll be chatting with Anna Choi, who's an associate professor uh, in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the City University of Hong Kong, along with Doris Lee, the executive director of Harvard.